0: The scripture reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 4, verses 10 through 20, which are on page 45, or you can follow along on the screen. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor even now that you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who gives speech to the mortals? Who makes them mute or deaf? Seeing or blind, is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to speak. But he said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, what of your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know that he can speak fluently. Even now he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, his heart will be glad. You shall speak to him, and put words in his mouth and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you what you shall do. He indeed shall speak for you to the people. He shall serve as a mouth for you and you will serve as a God for him. Take in your hand this staff with which you shall perform the signs. Moses went back to his father-in-law Jethro and said to him, "Please." Let me go back to my kindred in Egypt and see whether they are still living. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. The Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all those who were seeking your life are dead. Hmm. So Moses took his wife and his sons, put them on a donkey, and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses carried the staff of God in his hand. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Amen, you may be seated for that reading. Can't think of the last Old Testament reading we've had that got a laugh. Good morning, everybody. I can't believe it's just been over a month. When you think about it, it feels like it's much longer than that, doesn't it? The idea that Christmas, you know. Uh, my oldest son, who's 15, when he was about two, uh, Christmas season came and he had this special thing, you know, when they're two, they just, they soak it in so much. And every Christmas light that he, sa- he saw, he would say, more Christmas time? more Christmas time with such longing, right? Well, then Christmas came and went, and January came, and the lights started coming down, and we took him off the house, took the tree down. Everyone else in the neighborhood did the same. And I remember that one time we got in the car, we were driving around, and he looked out with such angst, just angst, he was like, more Christmas time, more Christmas time. Fact is, Christmas was, was gone. But hard to believe it really has just been about a month since we were here and the church was full and we were lighting the candles and praising the Lord and celebrating the incarnation, the presence of Christ, God with us. And what I want to do is just continue pressing forward on that season because it's so easy for us to anticipate the great celebration of it and then just let it go, let it drop. I promise, just this morning I saw some wreaths sitting out on the side of the road waiting for the garbage man to come, and there are a few random businesses, and I did see one house that still had their Christmas lights on. I don't know at what point it gets embarrassing, but we're probably getting close to that. But before we go and run too far and too fast with the season after Christmas, we wanted to stop and move from just having anticipation of the birth of Christ to appreciation for his presence, and even appropriation, receiving that gift of Christ's presence, God, with us. And so, before the candlelight completely extinguishes from the Christmas Eve services, we want to continue to look at the gift. Unwrapping, unpacking, and utilizing the gift of the incarnation, Christ, with us. God's presence here on earth. And in particular, How does the presence of Christ give us a new sense of identity, meaning, and purpose in this face-to-face relationship we could now have with our Lord? And so this short series has been exploring three very foundational, very important questions that many of us reflect on, which is, number one, who am I? The question of identity and in that teaching, which was two weeks ago, you can hear it online, we express the idea from the story of Moses that identity begins there at the presence of the great I am, the one to whom uh, you know, identity is assured, and then in Christ, whose name is above all names. This is where we go. We find our identity in the self-existent one, the name who is above all names. Well, last week, Pastor Joy led us in the idea of meaning. Meaning can sometimes be constricted or kind of confused with purpose, but it really is value. Like, what is my value here? Who am I? Why am I here? Meaning, we found, emerges from being known by God and entering into his story, knowing that in Christ he is the author and the perfecter of our story of faith. So our sense of meaning, our value, emerges from knowing that God loves us, and Jesus loves us enough that he died for us to save us. Well, this week, we want to focus on that final and, again, foundational question, the idea of what do I do? What do I do with my life? Anyone else still reflecting on that? I know, you know, even as I get older, I'm still working on that one. What do I do? This is not a question of purpose, and we want to ask again this morning, how does the presence of God among us change our understanding of calling, vocation, work, and life. And again, this is one of the most common questions that many of us will ask, ask ourselves. To know who I am, to know that I'm accepted because God loves me, begs the question, well then, how can I serve him daily? Well, with that, we're going to go to the tool of the word to get some understanding here. We read a passage from Exodus chapter 3, 4. We're going to look again at that. If you want to have your Bibles with you, it's great. It's always good to have that encounter with God that's rooted in his word. And so if you feel called, you have Bibles sitting in front of you, it's always good if you can read the word, maybe God will speak to you a special way this morning, aside from the words that I speak over it. And then you have Matthew chapter 4, we're going to look at that in a bit. Uh, Exodus 4 is on page 45. Matthew chapter 4 is on page 785. You can stick a a thumb in there and, and wait till we get to that passage. Let me pray as we spend time in the company of God's Word. Father, I thank you so much for the fellowship that you have for us this morning, this idea that we can spend time in your company singing the songs, encouraging one another, no matter what the day holds for us today. God, I pray by the love you've given to each one of us and the fellowship that we enjoy here, that we would emerge from here renewed, restored, and called. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And thank you, Lord, for your word, which has been preserved with such integrity that the stories we read are the stories you intended us to read to shape our hearts. God, use this tool of your word, guided by the Holy Spirit this morning, to lead us, we pray in your name, Jesus, amen. So this morning, we're going to look at the recruitment of Moses, which began at the bush, the burning bush there in chapter 3. He was a common shepherd at the time, had been an Egyptian, fled into the wilderness, and had spent almost a lifetime, almost about 40 years there shepherding in in the wilderness. You would think he'd gotten pretty good at it. But then suddenly, he hears this call, Moses, Moses. This voice coming from this bush that he can see up is burning, but it's not actually being consumed. It's not being consumed by the fire. Well, something about that is very compelling. So he moves towards it. And the Lord informs him out of this voice after a short conversation about identity. Who are you, Moses says. And God responds, I am. I am who I am. Well, then the Lord informs him of his purpose. He said, I've heard my, the sufferings of my people and I have come down now to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptian and to bring them up to the land that is good and a broad land, a land that is flowing of milk and honey. Well, that sounds pretty good. You would think Moses would say, hey, if you're going to free the uh, Israelites from, uh, the, from Egyptian persecution, that sounds great. Well, have at it. God continues the conversation with him and in verse 10, he informs him, actually, come, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh so that you can help bring my people out, the children of Israel. Bring them out of Egypt. Wait, excuse me, you would think, as Moses might say. He's already been given this gift of identity. Again, he always thought of himself as a wanderer, a nobody from nowhere. And yet the Lord knows him, Moses. Moses, he calls. And he has meaning. There's a purpose to his life. He is standing there on holy ground before a good and holy God who is intending to redeem. I am sending you, he says. And let me step out of the story for one second and just say to you, this is not new and it's not a one-time event. God is always calling his people to serve in his redemptive work. God's always calling his people to serve in his redemptive work. Now we get to chapter four. In the first verses, we get this introduction of a prop that seems to be a very important piece of the story. It's the staff of Moses. The shepherd, of course, his staff would have been a well-used instrument. Maybe one specially selected in his 40 years of shepherding. Who knows if he carried the same one all the time. I'm sure it was a very special piece of wood. And it becomes a very powerful tool again that the Lord uses in this new redemptive work. Chapter 4, verse 1, Moses answered him, Behold, what if they don't believe me or listen to my voice? What if they say the Lord didn't appear to you? The Lord said to him, Well, what is that in your hand? Moses says, It's a staff. He said, well, throw it to the ground. So Moses throws it down in this ground and it becomes a serpent. Moses ran and hid from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. And so he put out his hand and he caught it. And once again, it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe the Lord, the God of your fathers, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to you. He's changed that staff. Looking at this moment, A Hebrew scholar noted that in this narrative, the the staff is really nothing more than an ordinary shepherd's staff. It was the staff of Moses that he used tending to the flocks of his father-in-law Jethro. He bore it in his hand when he happened upon this burning bush. And it could not have been any more of a nondescript and unexceptional piece of wood. But that's precisely the point. You see, the staff, it harbored no inherent potency, no power. At work was God's sole will, which chose to transform a crude artifact into an instrument of amazing power, and the spontaneous of this, spontane, spontaneity of this act manifests in God's sovereignty. God is taking the most basic tool of Moses' work and consecrating it, blessing it, into a powerful instrument to demonstrate his authority and his grace. But friends, it's still just the shepherd's staff And as we heard in the reading today, Moses is still insecure about his ability to be successful in the mission he's been called to do. But the Lord will meet him there. Finally, Moses relents and accepts this new purpose, which takes us back to the reading that we heard today, and especially towards the end in verse 18. Moses then went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, "'Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt "'to see if they're alive.' "'Jethro said to Moses, "'You may go in peace.'" And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt, for all those who are seeking your life are gone, they're dead. So Moses took his wife, his sons, put them on his donkey, and went back to the land of Egypt. What a journey. But you notice this, Moses took the staff of God in his hand. The staff had been changed. It was no longer his tool of shepherding. It now belonged to the Lord. The Lord had consecrated it, changed it, use it again as an instrument to demonstrate God's own power. This is the tool that would become a mighty prop in the redemptive story of releasing God's people from captivity. And it begs me to ask us, including myself, what tool has God given to you? What tool, what instrument of his work are you utilizing? Is there a way that he can consecrate that now, maybe for you, like me, maybe your, your tool is your words. Or, or maybe it's the, the, the work, your wisdom, and the way you orchestrate with, with finances. Uh, maybe the tool of your primary vocation right now is your wedding ring. Uh, maybe it's a golf club. Uh, maybe it's a paddle. Maybe it's the fork of hospitality. What is the tool that you use that is primary in your work? You see, the presence of God in our lives gives us this sense that he's foundationally changing the work that we do and who we serve. The presence of God's kingdom becomes the the source of all of our work, even if we don't ever change jobs or careers. It creates a new measure of success. See, it's no longer about us anymore. I fell behind on my slides because I got so into the story here. Let me catch up. We are here today, friends, because of God's gracious call in our hearts. We're not here because we've earned it. We're not here because of legacy. We have heard the call and turned aside to move towards God, to accept in him a new identity. And we find our deepest sense in the meaning of God's great love for us. It's undeserving. It's abundant grace. And in Christ, friends, we discover our purpose with the gifts and talents he's already given us, redirected and in many ways re-empowered. And see, God is still at work. He's still setting his people free. And he's saying, I'm sending you, I am with you, and I'm empowering you. See, the nature of this idea of flourishing together is exactly that. Taking the gifts that God has given to each one of us, presenting to the Lord in gratitude, consecrate me, O Lord, and send me out together on the mission that he's called us to do. This is at heart the very nature of who we are as a church, flourishing together, growing in faith, and stretching out to receive many to know his kingdom, to set the captives free. We see this happening uh, continually, and we see this also in the story of the call of the disciples in Matthew chapter 4. So we look forward to that text. Starting in verse 18. This is Jesus now walking by the Sea of Galilee. He sees two brothers, Simon. He'll call him Peter, Andrew, his brother. And they're casting a net into the sea because they were fishermen. That's what they do. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Well, immediately they left their nets and they began to follow him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father. And they were mending their nets because, of course, they're fishermen. And he called to them, and immediately they left their boats and their father, and they followed him. Similar story. Follow me, he says to fishermen, and I will make you fishers of men. I'll consecrate the work that you do and orient it towards the kingdom. But what, again, is the tool of the work that God has given you to do? Have you accepted his renewed purpose to be kingdom builders through the work that he's given you? and the gifts that he's given you to use them. See, the presence of God in our lives fundamentally changes who we work for, who we serve. It gives kingdom purpose to all of our work, even if we don't ever change jobs or careers. And it creates for us new measures of success. It's not about me anymore. It becomes about him. This passage in Colossians illustrates it well for us when it says, "'In whatever you do, whether in word or deed, "'do it all in the name of our Lord Jesus, "'giving thanks to God the Father through him. "'And whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, "'as if you are working for the Lord "'and not for human masters. "'Since you know that you'll receive an inheritance "'from the Lord as a reward, "'is the Lord Christ you are serving.'" Friends, as we conclude this series, and again, it's a short series on the gift, Christ's presence here among us, God with us, I ask, have we accepted that great gift of our identity in him? Have we accepted that great call of meaning that he loves you so dearly that he sent his son to die for you and also to be raised into new life so that we too could enter into eternal glory with him? And have you accepted the call to his purpose to be kingdom builders and everything that he has given you to do and the tools of work that he's provided for you? I have a prayer for us as we conclude this series, but I want to make sure before we head to it that the candle that was lit and so worshipped for at Christmas is still fresh in our hearts. Again, it's so easy for us to move from a sense of anticipation for that great celebration of Christmas, the incarnation, Jesus with us, God's presence here. And then we move into the kind of coldness of winter in which that passion and love and hope and anticipation fade so quickly. Well, before we let that season pass, let the Lord search our hearts because there's still more that he's offering. There's still that great gift yet to be received. So the prayer that I have for you on the screen, as we go through it, I'm not going to put the whole uh, prayer up at once, because our tendency is, you know, we'll kind of read it and sort of go through it very quickly. Instead, I want to go through it kind of line by line and give you time to reflect into this as we hear the Lord call us. So we say collectively, Lord, I've heard your call, but I have been slow to answer. And Lord, I trust that you made me, that you know me, you save me. Jesus, I accept the gift of your presence in my heart. Renew in me the joy and purpose of your salvation. And now lead me on the way of loving and serving you, flourishing together in your kingdom for your glory. And in your name, we pray together. Amen. Well, Father, I thank you again for this time. I thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, continue to lead us and guide us and call us, just as you did Moses on that great day when he heard you calling from the bush his name inviting him into kingdom work that he didn't feel properly equipped for, but you blessed him. You consecrated the tools of his work. You said, I will be with you. Lord, glorify yourself through our work. Call us into your kingdom with fullness. May everything we do, Lord, bring you glory and praise. Father, we serve you and you alone welcome you into our hearts. Receive us into your kingdom work, to your glory, in Jesus' name.